morning, everybody. Sandwich says we open in worship this morning. An old song, you know it. It's called I Stand Amazed in the Presence. Sing along today. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love. My sin and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Hey, it's so glad to see each and every one of you this morning, and we're glad you are here. Uh, we've got some folks that are subbing in this morning because of uh, some sickness. Pastor Steve is out this week, and uh, so we are praying for a quick recovery for him. Uh, talked with him just this morning. He's doing really good, and he's watching online. So, hey, Pastor Steve, good morning. Uh, but we're so glad to see you. We have some other folks that are out too, so we're not going to shake hands with anybody this morning. But I would love for you to just take a moment, and uh, when we're finished here, to just turn around and say hello to your neighbors. I do want to let you know if you're a guest here this morning, we've got some visitors. Uh, we are honored by your presence today. And uh, so we would love if you would take a moment and text the word HI, just H-I, to 776-1807. We would love to start a conversation with you about how we can better serve your family. We're so glad you're here this morning. Turn around and say hello to somebody for just a minute or two, and then we'll get back to singing.
Sing along with us this morning. Come let us worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. For He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. For He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, Hero of Heaven.
is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. the God of the mountain is the God of the valley there's not a place no mercy and grace won't find me again oh there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing better than you Lord there's with us this morning. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. You turn morning to dancing. You turn shame into glory You're the only one who cares You turn graves into gardens You turn bones into armies You turn seas into highways You're the only one who Oh, and Jesus. 
my Savior lives. Sing this with us this morning. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I Savior. God, if you go back into all the places of all the men that have claimed to be gods, Lord, you'll find a, a tomb that's full of ashes and dust and bones. But God, we're so thankful that we serve you, the God of the empty tomb, because God is through that empty tomb and, and God, you're resurrection that we have hope in this world or as we continue to worship you through spoken word today God we're just so grateful for that hope 
Speak to our hearts today, God. Let everything that you do draw us to you. Convict us where we need chastening, Lord. Give us the courage to be obedient, to follow you. We love you, and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, you may be seated this morning. I'm going to pull up a, a note or two here. We are uh, got a special treat this morning. A lot of you uh, are familiar with Donald and Dorinda Snyder, and uh, this morning we have their favorite grandson that's going to be coming and speaking to us. His name is Tyler Dunn. And uh, I'll just give you just a kind of a little background about Tyler, and then uh, I'll let him kind of speak and tell you what he wants you to know about himself. I think more than anything, he wants you to know about the Jesus that lives in his heart this morning. But he's a graduate from Liberty, uh, graduated there May of 21. Uh, he's currently working on his Master's of Divinity, so make sure to get your thesaurus handy in case he says something over your head. I don't think that's going to be the case this morning. Um, he currently is on staff at Judson Baptist Church as our student, as their student ministry associate and global for focus intern. And uh, he's super stoked to be here this morning. And uh, I, I do want to share this. Steve sent me um, a note to share with Tyler right before the message this morning. And the note said, Tyler, remember this. There's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. So... Make Tyler feel welcome, everybody. Well, good morning. It's nice that there was some snow outside as we drove in here. And yes, as Kelly said, you know, Pastor Steve was not the only person that mentioned something about a long sermon today. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I've, I've taught this lesson, this message once before. We were right around the 30-minute mark, so hopefully that suits you this morning. But we'll, we'll go as the Spirit leads. Um, and as, as Kelly said, yes, I, I'm at Southern Seminary. I am about halfway done with my program there. And it's been a, really, a real blessing. It's also been a real blessing to work at Judson Baptist Church, which is my home church. But as, as you guys know, I was going to mention it that my grandparents are Donald and Dorinda, but I think that you, you guys already know that. I don't think I need to, to make that known to you this morning, but it's not just been their church for, I mean, as long as, as, long as I've been alive and, and well before that, uh, back, going back to Radnor Baptist, um, it's, been the, it's been the church of my, my granddad as well and his great-granddad. I, I was talking with my dad on the, on the way. We were driving this weekend, and we were talking about uh, what this means to be at Sunset Hills, but also for all the Radnor Baptist crew um, who came back or who, who are here this morning. It's good to be with you. My, my great-granddad was a, was a deacon, and he, he helped, I think, build the old, part of the old building. He was a part of that. And so Radnor's in our family, Sunset Hills. I remember I was in middle school back when you guys were at the old elementary school, and there were a few Sundays when I would come there and be, be a part of your, your youth services. So Coming here, and I, a lot of you guys I've known or grown up around, so it's good to be here. It's not necessarily like a strange thing. It's more of a homecoming, and so it is, I'm excited to be here, and I was talking to Steve on the phone uh, this past weekend, and he was telling me that he, when my mom was in kindergarten some 40 years ago, he would drive her to school, and so I'm giving away her age, and our, uh, our families, the Duns and the Durhams, have, have a long history. Um, Steve's 
Steve's dad, Brother Paul, married my parents around 30 years ago and I believe did some, some funerals in our family. So there's, there's a strong connection between that and I wanted you guys to know that. So I'm glad to be with, here, with you here today. I'm, I'm really excited. And so uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 19 through 22 today. And I'm going to be talking about living with confidence before God. I told a group that I taught this passage to recently that I was indebted to a sermon by a pastor named Phil Newton who preached on these verses, and I would recommend it to you as well. You can find it on YouTube. It was really helpful to me in some of the things that he said, and so I would recommend it to you as well. That being said, this passage hit me one day a few months ago when I was reading it, and it stuck with me, and I hope that it hits all of us in the room who are overthinkers. A lot of us who live black and white, who don't really see a whole lot of gray, um, for those of us that are our worst critic, I hope that this can give you some confidence and give you some assurance before the Lord today. So with that, let's dive into 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. It says, This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our heart condemns us, our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now, a songwriter once wrote in a chorus of one of his songs, he said, I can't shake this little feeling. I'll never get anything right. And it's not right to necessarily say that he sang it. He really shouted it amidst wailing guitars and, and drums. He, he shouted this line, I'll never get anything right, something that was deeply ingrained in his life. Then we get to the bridge of that song. He says, when we were made, we were set apart. Life is a test and I get bad marks. Now some saint got the job of writing down my sin. Now the storm is coming. Now you may be thinking that guy's theology is a little wacky. You might be thinking this guy needs to talk to somebody. You might be right. Or you might be thinking, what kind of music does Tyler listen to? I don't know. But anyways, all of that being said, this guy has some deeply ingrained belief in him that he can never get anything right. And regardless of what we're thinking about that and the, the ominous nature of those lyrics, I want to ask you guys, how often do you have that feeling bouncing around in your head and in your hearts in your Christian life that you can't get it right? To put it more simply, how many of your hearts condemn you? What I mean is this. We often struggle within ourselves and our heart of wrestling with the reality that there's still sin in our lives. That we have been a Christian for X amount of years there are still some major struggles in our lives. I still struggle to love my neighbor. I still struggle with, with anger, with patience, with lust, with gossip, with pride, with selfishness. All of the sins, those issues are endless. You know, I have repented of my sins and I trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Yet because of that ever-present struggle with sin, we live and we feel condemned and we go about our lives living that way. We either have the conscious or unconscious thought that maybe we're not saved. Maybe we actually are not living for the Lord. We're not bearing fruit. And because of this, we often wonder and live with this daily and haunting thought in the back of our mind that we're not a good enough Christian, that we're not doing anything right, and we're not doing the things that we are supposed to do, such as loving our neighbor. Some of you in, in this room today, I don't doubt, truly feel overwhelmed by the weight of sin in your life feeling like you've messed up again and again and again and again, and you simply feel that weight and shame. 
So in that sermon I referenced before, the pastor referred to a lot to those who are wired a certain way in, in terms of living in a black and white way, who are almost slipped there. They're living and they, they overthink and they get in their heads and they're their own worst critics. I wanna tell you right now that that's me. I'm just gonna go ahead and admit that to you. And there's a bunch of people in that back row that can attest to that fact as well. But I wanna let you know that that's me. And if that's you in the room, then I hope that First John can give us a little bit of confidence and assurance as we go through this struggle. Man, these notes keep falling down. We're just gonna have to start, we're just gonna have to go with it. So with that, when we live with these doubts, when these questions weighing heavy on us, I think that John has a great deal to teach about us. And so there are four things, and I think they're gonna be up on the screen as we go along. There are four things, four points that I wanna leave us with today from 1 John that will help us live with confidence before him. The first thing that John tells us is number one, our hearts need assurance. I think that he, that's implied in the way that he writes verse 19. He says, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Uh, some, some translations will say assure or persuade our hearts. And I think that it's implied in that that there are times when we won't have assurance. And so he's writing to them so that they may actually have that. And I think that's important for us to realize is that we, we can have that same thing and we also need that same thing. You know, a lot of times in the church, I think we're afraid to talk about doubt. We're afraid to say, man, I'm, I'm not really sure if I'm a Christian today. I, I'm lacking that assurance. We're, we often can be scared to say that we're struggling with something. We, we, we chalk it up and we say, man, I'm blessed. I'm doing great. You know, things are going A-okay. We all do it, but inside we're a wreck. We get stuck in our heads and, and are living like defeated Christians because our lives are filled with, with disappointment with tension, struggles, and a lack of victory. And so we need assurance. We need to set our hearts at rest. We need to know that we belong to the truth. And that's, that's why John wrote this whole letter. He wrote it to a group of people that needed to know that they were actually saved. And so for us in here, if you've been struggling with that, if you've been wondering with that, I, I want to give you some things that will help set your hearts at rest. And, and to feel okay and to know that we do need assurance sometimes. Now, for anyone into sports, if you've ever coached a team, you've been on one or you've watched one, one of the worst things in sports is when you go into the locker room before the game and you see the team and you know, man, we are gonna get killed. When you, when you go up there, I mean, we're, we're in March Madness right now and you know, Princeton is like a number 15 seed and they've beaten two, two pretty good teams. So I guess that's not in their mindset, but it would be like if Princeton went in against Gonzaga, I don't, they didn't play each other, but they're a pretty good team. And they went in and said, man, we're gonna get killed today. Having that defeated mindset is awful. It's, it's the worst thing because you know that you're gonna lose before you even walk out onto the court. It reminded me of that movie, Facing the Giants. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen that. Uh, in the, in one of the opening scenes of the movie, the coach gets word that their star player, the running back, he's not coming back. He's transferred to another school because he has a better shot at winning. And so when, when he does that, the, the team finds out and they're, they're going onto the field for their first practice. And they said, is it true? It, did he transfer? And the coach says, yes. And then one of the guys like throws, throws down his stuff and he's like, well, there goes our season. They haven't even played. They haven't had their first practice yet. They've already given up. They aren't just defeated because they believed in that guy's ability but it's also because they lacked confidence in their own. They lacked assurance in their own ability. And so living defeated, it's a mindset that comes from a lack of assurance. Often we can live in this same mindset of defeat. 
It is so detrimental to our Christian walks and our lives to live in this mindset where, where we won't make any progress whatsoever. It worries us. It keeps us in our head. It gives us anxiety. It worries us, right? All these things. And, it, and it's kind of like getting bogged down in quicksand. We're trying to get somewhere quick, but then when we get stuck, we can't really go anywhere. And we're, and we're just stuck where we are. And so we get bogged down by lacking assurance in our faith. And like I said earlier, John here is writing to a group of, of, of believers, to a, to a church even, and there's a group in their church of false teachers that have gone out. They, have, they, were in, they were part of the church, they left, and now they're teaching some heretical doctrines. They're saying that, you know, you don't really, you can kind of do whatever you want. You can live freely. They weren't loving their brothers and their sisters in Christ like they were supposed to, and they were, they were denying that Jesus was the Christ. And so, out of this, this church, these, these true believers are worried. They're like, these guys are teaching us this whole different thing. So are we wrong? Are we not in the faith? And so they're, they're stuck in doubt and anxiety and worry, and they're questioning all these things, and they're lacking assurance. And, and so John offers this phrase a lot in his letter. He says, by this you know. He offers them practical ways to know, hey, you guys are actually in the faith. You're actually saved. He, he gives them these easy and practical ways for them to know that, and so that they can, they can have confidence and they can have assurance that they are lacking. And so John is writing to believers here, giving them words of encouragement and of comfort, and he's giving them ways to know they are Christians. He's telling the people, hey, you are in the faith. And in the previous passage, he's exhorting them to love their brothers, their sisters, and he's saying he transitions from that to, to this passage about when our hearts condemn us. And I think that what he's getting at is he's saying, you know, sometimes our hearts condemn us because we may lack the assurance that we're doing the things that we're supposed to do. Man, I, I'm not sure I'm loving my brother or my sister as well as I should be. And your heart is condemning you because of that. And so we can lack assurance that we're living the right way and then have this steady hum of no matter what's going on, that we're still not quite doing anything right. So we need that reassurance today. We need to know that we actually are following Christ in the midst of the daily grind of life. Against all the tension, against all the struggles, against all the things we face in the culture, against false teachings that come at us and bombard us, we need to know and have assurance in our faith. And so with that, verse 20, which we read, and we're just gonna, we're gonna read again, is where John offers that assurance. So let's read that again. It says, whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Think about that for a minute. How great is that statement? God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. For whenever or whatever our heart condemns us for, he is greater than that. You know, I really like the way that the message version translates this passage. It says, it's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts, and he knows more about us than we do in ourselves. You know, like I was saying earlier, we can get bogged down in that, that quicksand. We can't get out of this, can't get out of our heads, can't get out of the, the self-criticizing thoughts, can't get out of all of the shame, that, this weight that we're living under. And it's, and it's simply these things that are in our head and our hearts, whether it's something maybe you said last week in a conversation or a phone call that you're beating yourself up over. Maybe it's the last time you lashed out in anger at someone and, and you've confessed that, you've repented of that, but you still feel the weight of that. You still feel condemned. You still feel the shame of that sin, even though you have repented and turned from it. For many of us, this happens all the times, and it could be the last time that 
you didn't do something that you thought you were, ought, you were supposed to do. And so you're continuing to just beat yourself over and over and over again with it. And it becomes this vicious cycle of not feeling good enough and not living up to some standard. And here's the real kicker. All of it comes from this like religious standpoint uh, as well. It, it can lead to this feeling of, I'm a bad Christian. Well, maybe I'm not a Christian at all. Well, I'm, like, nobody else struggles with this. I'm the worst Christian here. I'm, I'm just not a Christian. All of these things. When, when we get stuck in this vicious cycle, it's, it's constant. It continues. It goes on and on and on. And so John's reassurance tells us that God is greater than your heart when it condemns you. Whenever your heart condemns you, whatever our heart condemns us for, God is greater than that. You know, in that moment where we start to spiral, where that starts to happen, we can know and we can have our, this is where our assurance is, God is greater than our hearts. It's, it's greater than when we start to self-criticize, when we start to condemn ourselves. God is greater in that moment, not later on, not before, during that moment. We're, we can find assurance and comfort and peace in that. He is greater than all of that stuff that gets us stuck in our head. The reason that we can move past this is because of that fact. God is greater in it. We, we need to remind ourselves why he's greater. Romans 8.1 tells us is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. That's a great truth. It says that, you know, if, if you in here today are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, if you, are, if you are indwelt by his Holy Spirit, then there is no condemnation upon you. He's already taken care of it. He's already paid for it. And so we don't have to beat ourselves up over and over again by living in the weight of shame over things that we condemn ourselves over. And here's the thing, we all, we all do it. We all have our own things. I don't know what they are. You don't know what mine are. We all have something in our lives that we, that some sin struggle or something that we are trying to walk in repentance of. And maybe we've confessed it, we've repented of it a thousand times and we know that God's forgiven us of that, but we're still just beating ourselves up over about it. Man, like no other Christian would do that. There's no way, like I just get so angry all the time. Well, I just keep whatever, right? We all have something in us. And I think that it's also greater and comforting for us to know not only is God greater than our hearts, he also knows everything. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's kind of a scary thought for God to know everything. And yeah, a little bit, but it's also comforting is because he knows literally everything. He knows the motivations and desires of your hearts, of my heart. He knows our intentions. He knows every wicked and depraved thought that we have ever had. And he still is telling us, he, he, he says, I know your struggles. I know your sins. He knows all of our shortcomings. And yet still amidst that, he knows when our hearts condemn us. He knows when we're struggling with guilt and with shame and all those things. And he still says, I'm greater than that. He says, when your heart's doing that to you, I'm greater, I'm better. And that gives us so much freedom this morning. You know, everyone's struggle, like I said, is different. But, we, but when we get stuck in that never-ending cycle, we start to live defeated, like we were talking about earlier. You know, we go along thinking every single day is a struggle to, to wonder, man, am I, am I doing the right things? Am I really in the faith? We start to wonder again, are we bearing fruit? Are we doing all these things? But this is how we assure our hearts before God. We give those things to him and we trust in the reality that in Jesus Christ, there is no more condemnation. So we can stop condemning ourselves because in him, there is no, no longer any 
condemnation. And so we can find rest and peace in a God greater than all of our self-criticism. And so that, his, and really, his judgment is the one that matters. The judgment that he has pronounced on us that there is no longer any condemnation is the one that really matters. And so I, I just want to say this. There are a few wrong ways to go about this idea of judgment. Um, on, on one hand, we can take the role of judge in our life, where we can say that I'm the judge, I say what's right. And that's kind of where our culture is, right? I think we all acknowledge that, and we all acknowledge that's wrong where they set the standard of living. You know, I can do whatever I want. You know, the good outweighs the bad. And so I'm a-okay. It's all good. You know, at the end of the day, my good outweighs our bad. That's where our culture is. They set the standard. They are the judge. But then here's the thing that a lot of us in the room, maybe, or super religious people, we can go the extreme opposite way. And we say, you know, I take this wrong and destructive view of saying, I'm gonna judge myself harshly. It's those people, they judge, they judge themselves lighter than they should. And we often can, can fall into this camp of judging ourselves a lot more harshly than we should. You know, we still judge ourselves so much that we end up condemning ourselves rather than letting God being the true judge of our lives who has already declared us free and free from condemnation in him. So we assure ourselves not by being rooted in what works we have done, because that just shows that we can't measure up, and we really can't. So instead, we ground ourselves firmly in the reality that God is greater than any of the self-proclaimed criticisms that we may have on ourselves. So that leads me to, my, to our next point, is that self-condemnation cheapens true conviction. So I want us to just, to just think and ask the question, when we look at our verses Whenever our hearts condemn us, who's doing the condemning here? It's us. It's our hearts. It's not God. He's not the one doing the condemning. And so when we have that assurance in God's presence and in his sovereignty over everything, we start to realize when we look at self-condemnation and self-criticism from this perspective, we realize that we're talking about something that's completely different than unrepentant and habitual sin. And that's not the same thing when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit. So far, when I've, when I've mentioned is not that unrepentant and habitual sin. I'm talking about the things that you struggle with. I'm talking about the things that you have brought before the Lord. I'm talking about the things that you're trying to walk in repentance of, and yet you find your, your lack of progress, your lack of um, victory, you find that discouraging. That's what we're talking about here, but we're not talking about this unrepentant sin because we can... We can fall into that camp, and that leads us down a, down a dark path, too. Um, a pastor, a, wealth, a Welsh pastor, pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was um, pretty bold in some of the things that he said, but when, in talking about this passage, he said that there's a lot of people that can claim the cross, but they continue on in their drunken and unworthy lives. He said it, not me, but he said that when we, it's easy for us to, con, to, to claim Jesus. We can say, oh, Jesus forgives me, but then we continue on in unrepentant sin and we continue on not turning from it. And so again, I just wanna make sure this is different. We're not talking about that. We're talking about sin that breaks your heart. We're talking about sin that you are struggling with and trying to walk in repentance of and you find your lack of success and victory discouraging. When we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that brings clarity. We're not talking about this self-condemnation that's like, that gets us bogged down in quicksand and, and keeps us from victory we should look for and we should appreciate the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. You know, when my dad and I and my brother, we go fly fishing, there were days when we would go after it, after it had rained. 
Not always a wise decision, in case you were wondering. But when we, would, when we would do that, we would drive down the road, and sometimes we would pass over a bridge where the river was, or we would see the creeks um, as, we, as we drove up to the river, and we would be looking for something. We would be looking to see the color of the water, because, you know, after it rains, the, when it gets into those tributary creeks or onto the, onto the banks, it can spill mud and silt and all that stuff into the river, and we would be looking for the color of the water. We would... And if someone shouted out, man, it looks like chocolate milk, that's not good. That was bad, bad, bad for fishing. We would say, hey, that's great to drink, but it's not good for fishing because the fish aren't going to be able to see what we're putting out there. And two, they're probably going to be hunkered down and we're not going to be able to get to them. And it's the same thing with our lives, is that this self-condemnation that we've been talking about, it's like chocolate milk in the water. It muddies up muddies up our vision. We can't see. We're not able to go around looking for anything, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit is crystal clear. It comes, and it pierces us to our heart. It comes, and it's striking, and it's clear. This self-condemnation doesn't leave us showing where the root of our sin is. It just gets us down and in our head and isolated, whereas when we have true conviction of the Holy Spirit, it cuts us right to the heart, and it says, hey, this is wrong. This is sin. Here's where it is. And it's not done in a, in a mean way. It's done, the Lord actually uses that to bring us back to him. He says, hey, this is, oh, I dropped my notes here. He says, hey, this, this is how you come back to me. I, I make this clear in your life and I bring you back to myself. And so, and so we want that in our lives. We want that crystal clear conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit you know, in Acts, when Peter is preaching, he, he's preaching the gospel, and he's saying to them, he's preaching the message of the word of God, and after that sermon, it says that the people's hearts, they were unbelievers, it said that their hearts were pierced, it struck them to their heart. That's what we're talking about with conviction, that's the conviction of the Lord. The same thing is said of David, you remember when he's in the cave and he cuts off Saul's robe, it, it says that his heart was struck, and so with that, that's what we're looking for. It's not something that just leaves us guessing at what our sin is. It's not something that leaves us guessing, oh, I'm just worried. I don't know what it is. I can't get it right. Conviction, which we should look for, it pierces us to the heart. It's clear and, it, and it's unavoidable for the lives of a believer. We know it deep within our bones. And so what we should look for is that conviction rather than this self-condemnation that cheapens that so actually, I think in an interesting way, this frees us to look at the conviction of the Holy Spirit in a brand new light. There's great freedom in that. This conviction to a believer brings us back to the truth rather than sitting us in condemnation. It actually frees us to confess. So moving from there, we also find in verse 21 that this gives us the ability to live with confidence before God. I think that's a great reminder for us. Verse 21 says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So I don't think John is writing here simply so that we can just feel better about ourselves this morning, nor to give us an excuse to treat sin lightly. But our third point is that the point of not living under the weight of self-condemnation is so that we can have a great confidence before God. What would it look like this morning if we, didn't, if we weren't just sitting under the weight of that sin but we could go before God and we could pray to him and we could talk with him and we could live in his presence without that weight of shame on us. 
We could go there and we could, and we could go before him and know that we were in right standing and know that we could just be in his presence without feeling the weight of shame. You know, one pastor talked about this passage about how when we're stuck in self-criticism, it's paralyzing. And he notes how in this, it's easy for religious things to become a duty. When we're freed from that, we have boldness before him. But when we're stuck in this cycle of paralysis, we start to serve the Lord to just do our religious duty, and that's not out of devotion to him. When we rest in the grace of God, when we rest in his goodness, when we live in the reality that we are actually freed from condemnation, then our entire perspective is changed. God is not someone out to get us. I think a lot of us can have that mentality, God's just out to get me. But when we realize that he's freed us from condemnation, when we realize that we're actually free to live before him, he, he, we see him as our loving father and we're free to pursue him with reckless abandon. When our hearts are filled with that sense of condemnation, we can revert to being just like Adam in the garden. He hid from God out of shame. He ran away from fellowship with him. Now, obviously he had, he had some sin that separated him from the Lord and that broke fellowship with him. But he also chose to sit in isolation. And so we do the same thing when we wallow in that shame. When we're, when we're stuck in that, that, or as one professor I had called it, the pit of self-condemnation, we don't want to pull ourselves out. We don't want to get out. We don't want to go to the Lord. We just want to sit there and, and wallow in that pity. It's like, oh, well, I'm not good enough. Oh, man, I just keep on failing. I'm never going to get it right. And we sit in that pit, and we don't come to the Lord. And that, There's no confidence in our Christian life if that's how we're living. And so often, I think that here's where we get stuck is we realize and we understand intellectually, you know, God is over here. He's holy and he is righteous and I am over here and I'm a sinner. And those things are completely right. But we forget the fact that Jesus dresses us in his righteousness. He puts it on him like a coat. He says, here you go. You didn't do anything to earn it. I am giving it to you. That's how we can live today. Not in our own righteousness because we can't stand up in that, but because Jesus has put that on us and that gives us the ability to live with confidence before him. And even we can go back to another truth from 1 John. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. All of this points towards confidence that we can have with God. We don't have to avoid seeking him out of fear or further condemnation or that he's disappointed or that he's angry with us, but we can pursue him. We can live in a right standing before him. And I think that makes all the difference. And that moves us to our last point today. It says that really in verse 22 that this gives us boldness to approach God in prayer. Verse 22 says, and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. So not only can we be confident in our relationship and our standing before God, but we can also approach him in prayer with boldness. John says it's not just any normal prayer. He says that this is the prayer where you can ask, ask of me anything and know that you have received it. Now, again, we could go off in the wrong direction. We're not talking about the prosperity gospel, name it and claim it things. We're not saying, hey, I want a new, God, give me a raise and we're gonna get that next week. Or we're not saying, hey, I want a new car. 
We're not talking about, but we're talking about the prayers that are in the will of God. We can, we can pray these things, you know, praying for the person that we know who is lost, praying that our children or our grandchildren will mature in the Lord. These are the things that God wants. These are the things that are in his will. And so we can pray those with boldness before him. We can go with him boldly and confidently and pray those things and know that he has answered them. Man, I think our lives would look so different if we came before God with that boldness. And we came before him knowing that he was gonna answer our prayers. I think that's also great because it gives us assurance, again, back to the main point, we're living right in the center of his will. And that's where the, I think the vibrant Christian life is, is when we're living right in the center of God's will, we're, we're living in right standing before him, we're living confident, and that leads to bold prayers to the Lord. You know, it would, it would be really easy for the guy to ask out the girl to prom if he knew already that she was gonna say yes. It's a lot more nerve-wracking when he doesn't know what the answer is gonna be. But if we know that the Lord's gonna say yes before we even ask, then how much more confidence and boldness would we have to go before him and ask him of those things? So ultimately, as we close this morning, I think that this, this is really about living a more confident life before the Lord. The reality that there is no condemnation is really freeing for us. A sentence of judgment upon our lives, that implies imprisonment. It implies slavery. But that's not the reality that we were meant to live under. When that sentence is lifted, it means that we're free. You know, sitting in this room, I know that we have all at least heard in our heads or heard before someone say that, um, believe that the reality that Christ died for our sins one of those words that we use is the propitiation for our sins. And that's what Jesus is. He stood before us and he took on all of God's wrath upon us, all of the true condemnation that hangs on us. He took that for us so that we don't have to bear it. And so it also says, Paul says in Galatians, he says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free and that because of that, we are no longer needed to be burdened by a yoke of slavery. So often we live in this defeated mindset not from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but from the self-condemnation of our own flesh. Yet even in the midst of all this doubt and wrestling, God is greater than the judgments that we pronounce over ourselves because of the completed and finished work of the cross. I want you guys, and I hope that you will soak in that truth this morning and let that carry you through the weeks and through the months and the years ahead. And so I'll leave you with a few questions what areas of your life are you living in persistent and paralyzing self-criticism? What areas are you still holding on to that holding on to that condemnation that comes from your heart and not from the Holy Spirit of God? What areas are you holding back from his grace? Do you believe this morning that God truly is greater than all the doubts that you may have, even the doubts that you might have about him? All the sin that you have, all your shame, all the burdens in your minds. He already knows them, so bring them back to him, confess them, and let his greatness let, be reminded of the finished work of the cross that the, and, the, and the fact that there's freedom and the fact that there's no condemnation. Jesus took our guilt, he, or God took our guilt, he nailed it on a cross, and a sinless Savior died there in our place. His work in our lives gives us freedom, and it gives us clear conviction, and it gives us confidence to live before him. So as we close, and I've said that a few times, we also need to be honest that this, this message this morning was for those of us who are believers, those of us that are in Christ. 
But to be honest, for those of us that aren't in Christ, that condemnation, it does hang over us. The wages of sin is death. And that means separation and eternal punishment away from God in a place called hell. Yet Christ died for us. He stood on that cross, or he hung on that cross when he let that punishment come upon him, and then three days later, he rose again. And for those of us that believe in that this morning, if you've never, if you've never trusted in that, if you've never believed that, I invite you to do so this morning. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is a great verse. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. I think that we need to, if you have not done that this morning, I, I urge you to come and, and accept the Lord as your savior, savior. Come to him, believe in him, trust in him this morning. Trust in him to free you from the penalty of sin. Uh, I'm gonna pray. I think Kelly's gonna come back up and lead us in an invitation. I'll be down here. If, if you wanna talk about that, or then I would love to talk to you about that this morning. Or if you just wanna pray and, and start and, and bring something before the Lord and confess, bring, bring some sin to him, then feel free to do so. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we get to spend together. Um, we, just, we just ask that for anyone in here who is struggling with that, Whose, whose mind is never set at ease because of the condemnation that they put upon themselves. Lord, I ask that you, would, that you would allow them to trust in you, that you would allow them to see that you are truly greater than all those things, and that even in the midst of those moments, they can run to you. And Lord, for, the one, for those of us that may not know you in the room, I ask that you would, in your, in your time and in your sovereignty, you would direct them and call them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm learning to lead. I'm learning to lead. I'm learning to lead on Jesus. Finding more power than I've ever dreamed. I'm The joy I can't explain, it fills my soul since the day that I made Jesus my King. His blessed Holy Spirit is leading my way. He's teaching and I'm learning to lead, learning to lead, learning to lead. I'm learning to lead on Jesus, finding more power. Thank you, Tyler. Man, that was a great challenge, a great message. You may be seated just for a moment, if you don't mind. We appreciate that. And I, I am so encouraged, not only by our own students here, but, uh, but this generation that's up and coming, that 
uh, man, has a passion for God's word. And uh, I hope that encourages you that, uh, that, that the world is in good hands. We have some good, good folks that are coming up and, and, um, and waving, still waving the, the mighty banner of Christ. Amen. Hey, um, I do want you to know that um, our ladies start a brand new Bible study this coming Wednesday. So ladies, if you have not already signed up for that or are a part of that, uh, please uh, see, I think, um, Teresa, you're going to be outside, right? Teresa's going to be outside. She has books available for that, for purchase, so you don't have to go to Amazon and have those shipped home. We have those here, um, and she'd be glad to give you more information about that. But that starts this coming Wednesday. So, ladies, if you want to be a part of that, um, it's going to be a great study. It's called The Son of David, and, uh, and it, it's uh, one that they're super excited about. So please plan on, plan on being a part of that. Hey, we're going to take a moment. We've got a video for our men's Bible study. So watch the screen. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of his truth that leads to godliness. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. You know, I didn't grow up as a Christian, and my excuse for not becoming a Christian was Christians. All the Christians I met, they said this, but they lived a different way. I was completely disillusioned. We all understand that our beliefs and our behaviors need to tell the same story. The gospel's power, and it's authenticated by how we love people. You are the greatest Christian someone knows. And you know what? They watch you, and they observe you. He says it takes good people, people who are defined by God as good, to bring about light and darkness. Moral issues that have been biblical for 2,000 years are eroding, not just outside the church, but inside the church. You have to have the courage to say, wait a second, let's look at what the Bible says. We need to take a strong stand for truth because truth guards grace. What's he want to do in you that would change that narrative? That when people think of followers of Jesus, they would think of kind, loving, holy, the kind of people that are, are you ready? That are a lot like Jesus. The most dangerous position in all the world is to intellectually agree with the gospel, but not have a genuine conversion of mind and heart and will where the evidence of Christ in your life is making a difference. This isn't a guilt trip, this is a grace trip. The grace of God produces a new kind of life because it reveals God's passion for a lost world and they know about him by how we treat them. Doing good isn't something that you do because you earn God's love. Doing good is something because you have God's love. Let me encourage you and your group, experience the love of God and do good like never before. Amen. Hey, that's just one of the places that you can plug in for a great uh, time of fellowship. That study begins this Tuesday at 7 o'clock. That's our men's study. So guys, if you haven't plugged into Bible study yet, we encourage you to do that. It's going to be a great study, and um, I know the guys are super excited about that. Had a lot of great things going on all across our church. Um, and I want to say this too. We are looking for some folks to plug into a couple of places uh, to serve. So if you've uh, just been hanging out and you've been more spectating than participating, this is a good opportunity for you to lean in 
to some uh, service. And uh, come see me after service, and I'd be glad to kind of share some of those things with you, uh, some areas that we're looking for some, some good folks to uh, plug into. So um, our student ministry, we're going to be, um, not this coming week, but next Friday, we're going to be having our first camp fundraiser. Um, it's that that annual spaghetti fundraiser that we have that people seem to love, um, our spaghetti fundraiser. And uh, we'll be doing a spaghetti takeout. And we'll tell you more about that next week. Uh, Tyler, we appreciate you being here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead, if you don't mind, we're going to let you, yeah. Amen. Thank you. We'll let you step out, if you will. Um, that way some folks can shake your hand and uh, let you know how much they appreciate you. Uh, Tyler, it's not even 11 o'clock yet. Uh, what are you doing next Sunday? No, no, we're going to be glad to have Pastor Steve back next week. So um, you all will let him know that you missed him. I know by about 11.45 next week, next Sunday. So no, we're super excited you're here. Hey, stand with me as we close in prayer. We appreciate you all being here. And um, Lord, we thank you, God, for today. God, we thank you for that message. God, we're thankful for the Dunn family and, and their support and the way that they've just raised great young men in your word, Lord, and uh, his willingness to share that with us this morning. Lord, give us that same heart and willingness to be able to share what you've done in our lives, God. God, give us that boldness that Tyler talked about, and uh, that, God, we wouldn't be timid in our faith, but, God, we could approach your throne not only with confidence and boldness, but, God, we could approach this world with confidence and boldness because you have overcome this world. And you want good for us. Take us out into the mission field that we call work and school and all the other things that we do. Let us be a reflection of your love in everything. We love you in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and uh, do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.